Hello everyone, this is Jeff Anderson from Modern Combat and Survival. And this is Buck Green. And this is the Friday Reload Podcast, where Buck and I go through this week's news and blogcasts and everything that we've been doing on our own research over the week, on other people's websites and in, in our comments that we're getting on the blog. And we give you the down and dirty, cliff notes version of stuff that we found, so that you can get a whole lot of tips all in one podcast at the end of the week. And first, I want to start off by by thanking everybody because, um, and Buck, I haven't told you this yet, but we, uh, because of all of you out there and the comments that you, just by listening to the podcast and downloading the podcast from iTunes and leaving comments, we are now number six overall in the iTunes podcast for our category and the new and noteworthy. And this is a huge thing for us because we've been asking you, please help us get up in the rankings and everything, and, and you've helped us do that. We've had a few great comments in here, uh, MCS Rocks by Marvin Buck. Uh, Jeff has a bunch of great advice. I look forward to his emails and now these podcasts. Our world is changing. Be ready for it. Semper Fi. Uh, useful information, five, five stars. Uh, good info, five stars by I Don't Care. Um, the useful information was by Devil Nuts. Devil Nuts. There's a great CB name. <laughs> like that one. Oh, don't, don't start again. I'm, <laughs> I'm still waiting for you to read the comment that says, I love MCS as much as I enjoy ruling North Korea. <laughs> you know, <laughs> now that you said that, uh, there was actually a comment here. Great podcast by T in Arizona. Five stars. Uh, I've listened to a lot of podcasts on the subject of survival and prepping and maybe picked up a thing or two. This is this one is not only informative but also entertaining. Great subjects, great interviews. The capitalism and love for North Koreans leader can be forgiven <laughs> because this is American we have freedom. <laughs> you got to be careful what you say. People believe you when you say that I love North Korea. They have they, they haven't heard that podcast yet and don't realize that that is a play on something I said out of context. In fact, actually, I didn't even say it. You said it. Wait, wait, wait a minute. My goal is to find a new thing to take out of context and distort every week so that every week I can pick a new random non-fact about you and make you famous for it. Buck the Vampire. Up next. Well, yeah, there you go. We could, we could start with that one, and I think people would believe it just because it's on the Internet, so it must be true. Well, that's it. People go for sound bites, right? So Jeff well, Anderson loves what, North Korea. Well, that's what the FEMA camps are for. It's to contain the vampires. Everybody knows that. <laughs> that's right. Uh, we would have a total five-star rating in uh, in iTunes except for Trial 268. And um, I remember this guy, actually. Um, his His comment was, just awful advice, one star. Had high hopes for this podcast, but it will be deleted. The 410 shotgun for primary home defense is some of the worst local gun store moronic advice there is. Once I heard that recommendation on this podcast, I realized immediately this was not of value. And I remember, I remember his comment. Recommended that. What's that? We never said the, we never, nobody ever said you should be buying a 410 shotgun for home defense first and foremost. I think we talked about there are people who do recommend it and you, you know, I know we talked about the 410 overall and like, you know, the Judge 410 caliber uh, uh, revolver. I don't remember ever saying, uh, screw the 12 gauge, you need a 410. Like, that didn't happen. No, we didn't. Actually, it was from another, um, another podcast that we did with, um, it was on choosing, it was basically like shopping for home defense. And yeah. it was a podcast I did, and actually it was something I think I even mentioned, because I don't even know that he actually put it into the, uh, 
into the um into the actual thing. It was um from the guy that does gun tests. I'm trying to think I'm looking him up right now cuz I don't Oh yeah. Yeah, well, I remember that interview. We, um specifically we were talking about how do you know what to shop for so that you don't have that blank stare when you get to the counter and go, oh, I don't know, it looks cool. Yeah, it was Todd Woodard is what it was. And and this was I think this was from a comment that I made about what Todd Woodard like his personal choice was a four ten. Now this is a guy that like his entire career is built around getting guns and testing them and he doesn't accept any paid uh you know commercials or any um uh what, what do I want to say? Like um advertisements. There's, yeah, there are no sponsorships for there you go. this mag. There's no sponsorship. Everything through their subscription. Exactly. So he calls it like like he like he sees it, and and he tests basically everything out there. And you know, at the end of my interview with him, and I think it was even done off the air. I was talking, you know, saying, you know, I really appreciate it. This is a you know, this is an area a lot of people get intimidated by. And um, and I said, there's a lot of misinformation out there. And he said, you know, people, and and really the basis of his of of his shopping was really like you need to evaluate your family. Like stop. Stop going down to the gun range and you hear, okay, you know, um, hey, I've got a Remington 870 and that is the best gun for home defense. And what he was saying was, you need to look at your needs and your family. And Todd, I believe, yeah. had a, a young child, not, I mean, not like, you know, four years old, but he had a, he had a kid and his, and his spouse and he wanted his kid to be able to be able to use whatever he uses. And he believes that a shotgun is a great home defense tool. But it's not like his kid's going to pick up a Remington 870 and fire off four rounds, at least at, at his age. And well, you know, we how many I, I times? Remember, I, I remember us talking about this. We specifically mentioned that when you were choosing a shotgun for a family member, that the 410 became an option for small statured people. And I remember talking to you about that dedicated home defense 410 model that had a vertical foregrip from the factory. I can't remember which manufacturer makes it, but I remember it existed or that it exists. Yeah, I don't remember that. But, but but to your point, it's not even just about kids, right? I mean, we do hear news stories about, you know, a 12-year-old girl um in a home invader and the mom's not home and you know, she's huddled in a with a handgun inside the closet and shoots a home invader. Like we've heard those stories. So it's not unheard of that a child may have to I don't know how they would get to a gun unless you've just, you know, you shouldn't really have it lying out for, you know, it's kind of a that's a weird thing, you know. It's like how do you how do you make sure your kid has access to it if he needs well, it, but doesn't go on a shooting? There has been there's been plenty of incidents where where young teens who did have access to firearms because they were from shooting families, and you know sometimes the kids who own their own guns, uh, and they ended up using them for self defense. I can remember in uh, in middle school, like like you know like eighth grade something like that. I knew a guy who owned his own handgun, and you know it was his gun, quote-unquote, in that it was only fired under the supervision of his parents. But I remember thinking that was the coolest thing ever because I was gun crazy from an early age. So there are plenty of families who have traditions of shooting whose younger uh, children, you know, once they reach the maturity level where they can handle a firearm, especially under surveillance, do so, and whose kids nominally own their own firearms or have a rifle or a pistol that is devoted or designated for them. Uh, it, you know, it does happen as much as people would like to, you know, the, the next commercial we do, Jeff Anderson wants to arm your four-year-old. You know, but, <laughs> but the reality is there's plenty of young people who use firearms constructively 
uh, under appropriate supervision. So it's not unheard of. Yeah. And there have been news reports where teenagers did just that, defended their home, defended themselves or a relative. Yeah. And, you know, my biggest concern, I know I said, like, off the cuff, you know, like, how do you keep it from them in order to be safe, but, you know, avoid going on a shooting spree? Like, I know, like, everybody that listens to our podcast are, like, responsibly armed people. I like to say that. Well, anyway, I hope well, so. Well, that's but- also a concern, though. I mean, like, everybody knows, anybody who has kids knows that their kid goes through that, oh, God, I'm so depressed. That's hey, exactly what I was going to say. You know, you, you don't want your teenager to have unsupervised access to a firearm at all times because there's going to be that day where everything sucks and his girlfriend broke up with him and he just failed the math quiz and life isn't worth living. And, and you know, and then the next day, oh, I'm better. You know, yeah. that, that's typical. I mean, everybody with a, I, everybody I know who has a teenage daughter has a teenage daughter who's gone through that. I'm always wearing black and I'm depressed all the time face. Yeah. You know? Yeah, true. But, it, it, you know, besides children, you know, to Todd's, to Todd's point is that we have a lot of elderly too that, you know, and they're very concerned. We get a lot of comments like that. Like, you know, that's a great, you know, one strike knockout move, Jeff, but I'm 81 in a wheelchair. And, you know, yeah. how am I going to take down some meth addict 300 pound thug when, you know, I'm, I'm this small and I don't, you know, they're not going to, <laughs> you know, you might, well, you might learn a secret dim Mac death touch or something that might make their nuts fall off, you know, when you poke them in a certain spot. But, you know, the, the way when it comes to firearms, people maybe that are frail, have arthritis, or are not able to handle a 12-gauge shotgun, a 410 is going to give them a lot more stopping power even than a 9mm or something like that. Well, you know, I, I think it's the point we're both making is it's kind of ridiculous to home in on a single comment by one person we interview and say, this is terrible advice. You've got to take these things in context. There's always a context and a, and a background for what we're talking about. And it's exactly like saying Jeff Anderson loves North Korea. It's a single comment taken out of context and distorted. Yeah, but he screwed up my five-star rating. Well, you're going to have to get used to that. I mean, yeah. you know, when I'm when I'm shopping online and I see a, the star rating like on Amazon or eBay, I always look not just at the rating, but at how many ratings there are. And if, if a company has like 15,000 ratings and, you know, they're at 98% or whatever it is, I go, yeah, with that many ratings, they're bound to get a few people who you just can't please. That's so, a you good know, can, point, Buck. And so on that point... You know, everybody out there, help me, help us get back that star. So here's what I want you to do. Uh, just go ahead and, and look us up in iTunes, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, the Modern Combat and Survival Podcast, or you'll find us on New and Noteworthy under Philosophy because we are at number six. I want to get in the number, I'd like to get in the number three spot. That's what I would like to do. And I'm not even asking for number one. How could I be number Woo-hoo, one across? We're number three. Woo-hoo. I remember, I remember before they got super popular, Glenn Beck used to advertise and say, you know, like, we're number three and, and we're okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> I remember Snapple used to do a commercial like, we're number two and proud. We don't like, we don't want to be number one. Number one yeah, is too high always, pressure. <laughs> it always sounds a little like rationalization. Like, no, 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 it's, it's, it's a bug. It's not a, it's a feature. I know we have a, in my town, we, the local Century 20, I think it's the Century 21 real estate. Office, they've got this big sign out in front of it that's a, that literally says, we almost made number one in Wimberley. 
and, and it's literally like, a town of reasonable goals. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we don't care. We've just got our standards set just fine. But uh, anyway, so everybody, look us up on iTunes. Go ahead and um, subscribe to our podcast because that does help us keep you know push up in the rankings. And then also give us a give us a rating. Look, I'm not. I'm not saying that the number one rating, the the one star rating, you know, I look, I want you to give honest feedback on it and everything. Um, but don't, you know, if you hear something you don't like from somebody, do not throw out the baby with the bathwater. But for those of you that are fans of our podcast and like listening to me and Buck drivel on about stupid stuff, uh, go ahead and and uh, well, actually and get value out of the the interviews that we're doing because there's some really amazing stuff in there but please give us a high high star rating if you like us give us a rating and um and help us push our 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 podcast up and get us get us noticed more so i'd really appreciate that you do that you can do that on iTunes or go to any and you can go to any of the the podcasts that are in our blog and click on the button it'll take you over to the iTunes page where you can do all of that we really appreciate that um, so, Buck, let's go ahead and get jump right into this week's podcast, or I'm sorry, this week's blog post and stuff that we, um, so we can kind of go over what's going on. What do we have first? All right. Well, my favorite, I think, of the week was the one about Jim Cirillo because I'm a big fan of his work. Um, anybody who's you know been dealing with firearms for any length of time is familiar with Jim Cirillo. Has heard the name. You know, everybody refers to him as a modern day gunfighter, and that's essentially what he is. Um, even though the the blog picture we have of him makes him look like some sort of a James Bond villain, <laughs> but yeah. uh, the the post is called "Here Are Three Confessions of Modern Day Gunfighter Jim Cirillo," and this is basically a guy with a lot of experience in using the firearm for self defense, uh, who mentions things like uh, your techniques go out the window uh, because you know when you're so trained in your stance, your gun presentation, and your sight picture. And that all falls apart when there's really a person shooting back at you trying to murder you. Um, he talks about how your, your sight picture destroys your decision-making. He says, you know, you're just not going to be focusing on that front sight because you're trying to figure out, should I really shoot this person? Uh, you know, in a world that's not full of your targets, but it's full of really breathing people, most of whom you're not supposed to shoot. Um, and then he third point was subconscious shooting is essentially what's going to rule the day. In an adrenalized state, you won't have access to the same logical, controlled response tactics that work so well at the range. You know, when people are shooting at you, uh, the bad news is you, your training is the typical marksmanship-style training done down the range, and your training isn't aligned with what happens in a real-life-or-death attack. Uh, you're going to die. You know, your training counts, but it has to be the right training come to your rescue when you need it. Uh, and, and the post goes on to underscore how most real gunfights happen at much closer ranges than we think they're going to. Um, and this this post generated a lot of really great discussion. Yeah. Uh, one of my one of my more favorite comments in the discussion, I read the whole thing, was by Dick Hunter. He wrote, um, also keep in mind the official engagement range for a person with a knife is 21 feet or expected cut. And, you know, we've all heard the whole two-word girl speech. Uh, but he wrote, at front sight school, the three- and five-yard engagements were pretty much present and shoot. Uh, the front sight pictures became uh, becomes more evident at 70 yards and beyond. I've not yet had to defend myself against a human, and we hope that's always the case, uh, but I've bagged nine wild boars with a handgun. And that's what drew me to that comment, because 
people who hunt wild boars are particularly crazy because those things are mean. And people who hunt wild boars with a, a handgun, or I know some people even do it with like a boar spear. No, thank you. <laughs> you know, I'm not, I've never been really into hunting, but I, I don't particularly want to hunt something that could murder me. Uh, and he mentions that one 300-pound wild boar uh, squared off with him at 25 yards rather than running like they often do. He says, thankfully, my 44 Desert Eagle with hollow sight quickly stopped the threat with a heart shot. And I'm just picturing this guy with this massive hand cannon dusting this <laughs> beast of a, a wild boar that you know weighs almost as much as a man. Um, my point here is do not expect that kind of a one-shot stop. My first wild boar engagement was a 175, I'm assuming, foot shot. He wrote 175 hash mark, which I pound. think pound. And I'm not sure. I think he's saying that, that the boar was 175 pounds. Oh, okay. I, I, I didn't understand the, the reference. Uh, 175 pounds shot broadside through the chest at 40 yards. No reaction other than to run towards me on a flat hilltop. As he ran by me at five yards, I put another 44 slug through the chest broadside with no reaction. He turned back towards me and I made a head neck shot at 10 yards to put him down. He was still kicking and rolled off the hill down 50 feet to the road. Point being, a handgun is far underpowered compared to a rifle or a shotgun. Placement is critical, and a controlled pair to the thoracic cavity is the recommended action to stop a threat. And then look for the next bad guy. But what I liked about this was, yeah, the guy's not talking about, you know, engaging human beings because few of us are Jim Cirillo. But these wild boars are as big as people, and he's got a massive handgun. He's got a 44 Magnum Desert and he's putting rounds into this creature, and it's not stopping. And that beast has the ability to kill you if it gets close enough to you. So, you know, the the idea that he's pumping 44 magnums into something that weighs, you know, a couple hundred pounds, that's impressive to me. And it underscores the fact that, yes, you could be dumping bullets into somebody, and they might not stop. Yeah, and I, and I commented on this one, too, I think, and um, because – it that was a really good i think parallel to the under the underpower of a handgun versus a a human being i mean you can see if you've got a, four, a desert eagle 44 magnum and it's taken a couple shots to take out a boar in fact you know that boar runs past you and then you shoot it and it turns around and faces off it's like oh no you did not just do that <laughs> yeah, now i'm annoyed <laughs> yeah i was just going to keep running but hell no not now uh, you know, that's that's a good wake-up call to the people that only see a person get shot in the movies, and it seems to take, you know, one shot and the guy's flying off out through a window. That uh, And, and uh, Peyton Quinn has said this time and time again. It's like, against a human, a handgun is severely underpowered, and that's, you know, the whole thing, you know, shooting to, to stop a person. But then also, I did only take one exception with what he said, which was, that common, you know, tool or drill. And I think people that have been listening to our, our, our podcast and then watching our blog and seeing our articles and have read our products know that, um, you know, I'm not a fan of the tool or drill. It's, it's one of those myths within the industry that, that has got to die at some point because the tool or drill was done at 20, and that was, that's what established, you know, a man within 21 feet armed with a knife can, can reach you, uh, before, you know, if he's within 21 feet, then, that's like your your kill zone, like you're justified to be able to pull. And we've pressure tested this 
um, because you need to understand that if you even see the pictures of the drill, it's a police officer in full garb. He knows what the drill is. There's a person 21 feet out with a knife. He knows he's going to be charging. So there's no decision-making to happen there. It's just you just, you know, this person's going to go, and when you say go, he's going to run, and you have to draw in time. Uh, it was not a concealed gun. It was an open carry gun, you know, six-shooter style, just like, a, um, you know, like the Old West. And... No, that's what established the 21-foot rule. But that's not; those are not going to be the conditions that you're going to be under. You know, if you you're going to have to first identify the threat, and bad guys are not going to stand out there from 21 feet and say, "Okay, get ready," because I'm about ready to charge you. They're going to ambush you. They're going to come from the side. They're going to come from the back. You're not going to have that warning. You're not going to be in open carry. You're going to, you're going to most likely be carrying concealed. So you've got this whole decision-making process. The adrenaline's going. It's not, it's not a drill that you're aware of that you can be relaxed in. And so everything's working against you. And even with, when we, when we pressure test this in, in Colorado with the training that we do with Peyton, we've had a person 50 feet out. And we, and we still kept an ideal conditions of an open carry, six shooter style. In, in a holster, so it wasn't even concealed. 50 feet out, uh, more times than not, the person was able to get to the person who, before they were able to draw and fire the weapon. And, uh, it was really, it's really something to see. And actually we, we show some images of it. We show some video clips of it in our Bulletproof Defense DVD. You can actually see it in action. And that's important because that tooler drill is going to, could possibly get brought up in court. And say, why did you shoot this person? He was 30 feet away from you. Everybody, you know, you've taken training. You've read, you know, you even commented in this forum about the 21-foot rule. So you knew it. So why did you shoot him 30 feet out when he wasn't within 21 feet? That DVD that we did is like your evidence in court. We actually built that DVD so that you can you can submit that as evidence. Like, well, I know that a person within 50 feet is a lethal threat. So... Um, if you don't have that DVD, pick it up because we, we put it basically at, you know, it's, it's super like, like we just basically priced it so that everybody could have it as evidence. And that's at bulletproofdefensedvd.com. But that was the only exception. But that was, um, but we had, a, we did have a lot of great, great comments in there. So good stuff. Um, uh, we, we had a, fo- we kind of focused on firearms a little bit this week. So, uh, the other post that we had was, I'm going to blow your damn head off. Should you draw? And this was a, a scenario based blog post to see what everybody, you know, how everybody's thinking. I always like to do this every now and then just to kind of give people a scenario and then see how they would react. And I'm always, I'm always surprised by some of the comments that come in, especially the ones that are just like, you know, hell yeah, I'd blow his damn head off. And then I would eat his innards, you know, it's, it's um but the scenario was that you are um where is it um you know basically you have a situation where you have hits you know you've had like a fender bender and uh trying to find you actually bump into some guys some badass bully's car in a parking lot and dent his brand new Mustang even though you apologize he tells you that's not good enough and says I'm going to blow your damn head off he made no, he's made no gesture toward his car or under his shirt, but the man who is twice your size continues to yell and scream at you while pointing his finger in your face from about 15 feet away. Would you legally be justified to draw and shoot in self-defense? We had um, over 100 comments on this, and I think they're going to continue to come in. And actually, I'm very happy to say that most of the comments that were in there were very practical. 
we don't always get this, but I think we're tra- we're starting to train people a lot a lot more about about thinking outside of the yeah this you know well I mean this is this isn't like some predator that's in your home sort of a thing this is a parking lot situation but it's probably more common I mean this kind of like road rage or parking lot rage or something like that is is very common people can get very upset in fact uh, I was I'm just that happen yeah well I was just I was just gonna say I was just there's a guy in my in my son's scout troop and we were we went camping this weekend uh, the scouts did and you know. He was late getting there, and actually, I, I, I drove up with him because he uh, got T-boned from this this person uh, in his pickup truck. So basically, just put a big old dent in the side of his truck. And he said, "I jumped out, and I'm like, what the fuck do you think you're doing?'" He's just screaming and yelling, and he saw that it was a young girl. It was like a teenage girl and her boyfriend, and he was just like, you know, had his finger out there, and he's like, "What were you? What were you thinking? Didn't you drive?" And then all of a sudden, he stopped himself. But it's like, you know, that's a, that's a big guy versus a little girl. And he that rage that was there, he couldn't even be stopped for a teenage girl. But he said, you know, then he stopped himself. It's like, okay, are, are you okay? You know, then he, then the practical side of him came out. But if you're, if you're like a man in a parking lot or even, you know, a woman in a parking lot, a lot of times guys will be even more, um, even more offensive to a woman because she's a woman. I mean, women will tell you this. He treated me this way because I'm a woman. And, you know, if, if, if somebody feels like they're, you're not a threat, then they can be even more aggressive because it's that whole like intimidation factor or the feeling of power. And it, well, it makes them with rage. Power. Somebody's ruined your morning. They've hit your car. There's been an accident and you're upset. So you vent. Yeah. Uh, you know, it doesn't even necessarily have to be anything hostile. Uh, I, I got hit by a, a young lady one morning. I was coming out of a, a drive-thru, and she pulled up around the car that made me into traffic and uh, hit me broadside and put a, you know, crushed the, the driver's side uh, door behind the driver, the rear driver's side door. And uh very attractive young lady, you know, 21 years old if a day, driving a brand-new Honda. And... Basically, she was freaking out. She's calling her mom. She's very upset. And, you know, I'm not my first rodeo. I've, I've done a lot of driving. I've done a lot of commuting over the course of my life. And, you know, these things happen. You you do what you're supposed to do. Nobody's hurt. It's no big deal. And the car's even still drivable. And what I wanted to say to her was, look, you know, don't freak out. It's no big deal. Everybody's going to be fine. It's not even going to be that big a hit to your insurance. And she was so upset and so attractive. I'm like, you know, I, I wish I could hug her. And then I realized that's the creepiest thing I've ever thought. And it's frowned on when, when someone has a car accident. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it, so no, you can, nobody, uh, nobody put a comment in there like, well, I would just give him a big man hug. That, that <laughs> well, would take care it of it. Make a difference. It does make a difference if the other person is an extremely attractive young lady. But <laughs> the, uh, I, I was in a parking lot once and I saw one guy like, got mad at a guy who drove past him. It was summer, so everybody's windows down. And he, like, smacked the side of a guy's truck with his hand. Well, the guy in the truck slammed on the brakes, jumps out, and these two dudes started yelling at each other, you've never seen two guys who wanted to fight less nonetheless try so hard to start a fight. And it was specifically because each guy wanted the other guy to back down. 
he wanted to be the guy who backed that other guy down so he could later, when he told the story, feel good about himself. That guy smacked my truck, so I yelled at him and he got afraid. Or, you know, that that guy came too close to me in the parking lot, so I gave him what for. And it was really obvious that neither one of them really wanted to get into a fight. And had they started physically trading blows, I'm sure it would have been a train wreck. Yeah. But, uh, <clears throat> it, you know, it's, it's ego, it's pride, and sometimes it's just you're upset. Yeah. Well, definitely go in and check out uh, – uh, go check out the comments in the blog post, everybody, because there was a lot of good information there. What I, what I liked about it was it showed all the different – you know, the complications of a self-defense encounter where you've got this – you have to make that decision. Not even just shoot or don't shoot, but do you even expose a weapon that you have? There was a lot of great stuff in there about how um, – you know, a lot of people don't understand that brandishing is an offense. You can be arrested if you pull out your handgun – and it's not justified. You don't even have to pull the trigger. You can still go to jail for it. And there was a lot of great comments in there. Um, and I think a, a lot of great advice about you don't necessarily even have to, you know, if you feel that you're threat, like you're in that in-between gray zone, you don't even have to draw your weapon. But pulling your, putting your hand on your weapon so that you can get to it if somebody does start charging you, if, especially if it's in a very close quarters range, if you do feel threatened, not as like a, a bullying thing, like, oh, yeah, you know, you don't like that I hit your car? Well, I've got a weapon. You know, I'm not going to pull it out right now, but just you should know, don't talk smack to me. Not like that. But if you do feel you're threatened, there was a great uh, comment in there from Left Coast Chuck, who who gave a a full account of of a situation that he had where he was um he was potentially going to be robbed by three people, and he basically didn't even have a gun with him, but he pretended that he did by having a hand behind his back like he was going to draw. And didn't even have, but the point of it was that you can't, if you're in that in-between gray zone, you don't have to pull it out in order to um, necessarily, you know, uh, back up what that you are prepared if it, if he, if the person takes it further. That's dangerous as well. You know, somebody, again, somebody can call your yeah, bluff on it. Never bluff if, if you, yeah. you know, sometimes you just have no choice, but. Right. Uh, but there's comments guy. of, you know, brandishing is an offense, and a lot of people don't realize that. You can't just pull it out and wave it around and say, back off, buddy, unless you're justified to actually have it out and you feel like you're in threat for your life. So a lot of great comments in there. There was an incident just this past week. A guy got brought up on charges. He was surrounded by, like, I don't know, nine guys of some large group of people who were threatening to rape his wife and stuff. So he pulled out his gun and he fired a warning shot. And the second you hear the words warning shot, you know he's in trouble. Because by law, you know, our our law does not support you letting loose around unless you are justified in taking somebody out. He almost would have been better off shooting one of them and saying he made a move and I thought we were, you know, in, in, I was afraid for our lives. So I shot him. He would have been better off doing that than saying, I knew that I wasn't justified in actually shooting one of them. So I hoped by shooting into the ground, it would scare them off. Well, you know, anybody who's seen our bulletproof DVD package knows that that's legal suicide. Yeah. You you absolutely can't do that. If if you're going to, if you're going to deploy your firearm, it has to be that you would be justified in using lethal force. And then if you choose not to, okay, fine. But you had to have been justified before you took it out. Yeah. Good point. Okay, uh, this week's... I'm sorry, what? Oh, no, I was just going to move on to the next post. Uh, Oh, is it your turn? Yeah, it's your turn. Go ahead. My turn. 
the NCS podcast, uh, Strategic Relocation for Your Survival Retreat with Joel Skousen. Uh, I, I firmly believe in uh, living in a snow cave in Alaska, especially with the Ebola apocalypse upon us. So this one was one that I listened to keenly. Um, you know, you can't just whisk your family off to the nearest campground in your four-wheel drive bug-out mobile. You have to know where you're going to go, and you have to plan ahead to have a bug-out location. Uh, and Joel covers things like the three most critical geographic and infrastructure factors that you need to look for for long-term sustainability if you are going to have to go to this bug-out location and stay there for a while. Um, how close you should be to an urban area uh, when the excrement hits the rotating oscillation device. Um, should you be, uh, you know, how near, how far, what are the distance considerations when you're looking at your own bug-out evacuation planning? Things like trade and commerce and the economics of your retreat location and why they matter. And even touches on things like nuclear attack. We forget, you know, I, I was a, that was a real big survivalist child in the 1980s when it came to nuclear war. You know, at one time we were all convinced that it was going to be nuclear war and nuclear fallout, and maybe we were all a little ridiculously optimistic about our chances of surviving after that happened. But I have a library of outdated nuclear survival books on my shelf. Um, the threat didn't end in the 1980s, and there are still people in the CIA to this day who think a fallout shelter uh, is a good thing. So, you know, do you have a plan B survival retreat? How much thinking have you put into it? These are all things covered in that Joel Skelton uh, podcast, which is really worth a listen. It is, and it's you, you need to go and dust off all those nuclear survival books that <laughs> that are on the shelf. I mean, he's actually Joel is very um he's very intent on that. See, you know, and and I guess, you know, rightfully so. I mean, when he says that it's not just about like a nuclear warhead headed toward us, although that threat is still there, and he sees it as a very, very viable um, possibility in the future. But also, just that, I mean, if you remember, it was the um, the federal government that went out looking for, that was the reason why they said they were looking for survival food, and why they were contacting everybody, was because uh, if there were ever, if there was ever a, a strong earthquake, we have nuclear reactors that are located near fault lines. And, you know, Fukushima, hello, it doesn't, you know, so they're, the federal government is preparing for wide-scale collapse if necessary, and that was why they were looking for food. So it's not just a round coming from above us, but it's also a Fukushima-like event that could that could set something off. Now, he does talk about some things that you should look for in, like, building a uh, – he has, like, plans on survival retreats and things like that, and they do take into account blast as well as fallout and radiation. So – there is some great information there, and, and actually, I was surprised. Uh, two days ago, I was talking with a good friend of mine who's a very successful businessman, and and um, you know, we're talking you know multi millions, and is, is on boards and things like that. They actually hired Joel to come in and give them a presentation. You know, it's um, the wealthy in our company in our country are are really they're concerned. These are the things that they're concerned about. You know, I guess the more you have, the more you're worried about losing it. And they hired Joel to come in and give them information on what should they be doing to protect themselves should something like this happen. So um, it's definitely out there. And Joel's a real amazing, amazing guy for this type of information. We'll get him back on as well. Uh, the final one we had was uh, the podcast for this week was the Great Pumpkin Riot of Keene, New Hampshire. More signs <laughs> of militarized local cops. 
Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm just picturing a giant great pumpkin Charlie Brown type creature rampaging through the town. I know that's wildly appropriate. Actually, I was looking for that image for the blog post, and I decided not to go with it, Charlie Brown. But, uh, you know, this is I thought this was really good. And actually, the, the title is a little mis- misleading because it's not – I did find it interesting that in this little town in New Hampshire that all of a sudden cops were able to quickly show up with tear gas, uh, pepper uh, pepper pellet uh, – what's that? Like, um, pepper pellet. Pepperball guns, yeah, and riot gear. So, you know, that, at least there weren't MRAPs coming down the main street, but it was interesting that this small town would be prepared for something like this. But it's also, you know, the, the, the people that show this wasn't like a, a situation like a protest or anything like this. These kids, this mob of, of young youth were there specifically for the, the task of creating chaos. And there are lots of videos that are out there now that were taken on cell phones from, from kids that were part of it or people that were watching. And you can watch the video. What we, we grabbed one of the ones that showed the standoff between police and, and the other ones, but there's other ones where the police aren't even involved. And it's just, these kids are just, it's just a, a nonstop, uh, almost like dodgeball with bottles and cans and things like that. And I watched this, there was one video that was like about eight minutes long or so, and it was just somebody filming like the throwing back and forth the bottles and what everybody's reaction was. What I found interesting, I mean, it, it, it could be kind of boring over eight minutes watching the same thing, but what I found interesting was it started off like everybody was kind of having fun with it. And then one guy got out there, you know, probably definitely drunk. I mean, I have to say he'd definitely be drunk, but he gets out in the middle and he's like daring everybody like, yeah, like catch me. And he's like pulling his shirt up and grabbing his crotch and pretending that he's like, you know, humping, humping the crowd. And, you know, all it takes is just one drunk asshole to get out in the middle of everything. And then somebody nailing him from the side with a beer bottle. And then all of a sudden all gloves are off. Now it's like there's complete pandemonium and a massive riot. But here's what I found interesting that I, that I really, and, and this has never been pointed out in all the stuff that I've seen is that all along this road where people are going back and forth with this, there is, like on the houses, all the porches are loaded with kids. Now, I, I don't know, they don't look like they're frat houses, you know? So my thought was, okay, what if this is my neighborhood? What if that's my house? And now I've got this going out in front of my house, and I've got 20 beer-drinking youth yelling and screaming on my front porch, you know, is this lock and load time? Is this, you know what, I'm just going to take my family out the back door. We're going to escape this. Because people talk about all the time, like, oh, the best riot defense, don't be near the riot. That falls into the no-duh category, you know. And, of course, you know, you want to stay away from volatile protests and things like that. But what about when it shows up at your front door? And, you know, yeah. something like this can happen. Like, what do you do? Do you, you know, do you lock all your doors and sit there with your with your 410 shotgun, oops, I mean your uh, your 12-gauge shotgun in the living room and wait for somebody to bust in and get... Huddling under your, your North Korean flag uh, <laughs> acrylic blanket that you had custom printed in some capitalist printing shop. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's what do you do in those circumstances? I don't think anybody's really thought about that. Like, what if that were your house that's now surrounded by by teens and they're not necessarily focused on you, but 
if you come out and say, get off my lawn, you damn whippersnappers, then all of a sudden you can quickly turn that attention on you and everybody's throwing beer bottles at your windows, you know? So there's a lot to take away from this. And um, I guess, I guess my point with the blog post was this really can happen anywhere. You really do need to be prepared for it. And, you know, this, this isn't just, this doesn't just happen in urban areas where, you know, kids have, you know, been, been shot. So, uh, well, anyway, I think uh, small towns are probably more likely to have this type of fast, heavily armed response because it's like Alice's restaurant. I'm probably dating myself again with that, but uh, you know, you got a small town that has all this riot gear, some of which they've obtained for free or at almost no cost from the government, and they're just itching to get to use some of it because what? Why else do you have it? So all of a sudden, here's an opportunity to get all all that cop stuff that you haven't had a chance to use for years. Uh, I, I think they're, you know, because they see less action, they're probably more eager to deploy those things. Yeah, and the other thing somebody pointed out to me is that I, I think Boston is like an hour away from here. Somebody told me it was. I haven't, I haven't checked the map to find out. But, but nonetheless, if, if, you know, the small town might call the big town like, hey, we need help over here. Well, big towns that have MRAPs and riot gear, they're more than happy to come in, you know, swoop in. And save the the little town. And when they come in, you know their chest is going to be puffed out. I mean, I was watching, you know, yesterday there was an attack on the Canadian Capitol, the Parliament building, and it was one guy with a gun. And you don't know if there's multiple people there, but one thing I noticed was that, you know, all it takes is like an active shooter, and then all of a sudden every cop pulls out his his uh the mask, you know, like the anti-terror mask. And they're oh like, yeah, they 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 were loaded for bear, man. They had I saw one picture of a couple of guys. They had full like SWAT gear on with the you know the M16 rifle with all the optics and everything else. And they they had uh, you know drop leg holsters with sidearms and all this other stuff all over them. And you know that's the that's the uniform of time to kick some ass. Yeah, and I and I saw guys that didn't even have they weren't even fully loaded with gear. It was just like they had a mask and a nine millimeter, and they're. They're crouched around in their jeans and they're like pointing up at the sky, like, like the drones are coming. To, you know, it's like this is the attack. They're coming out of the skies, and and look, I I, I get it. Like you you don't know if there are going to be multiple expl- you know explosions or anything like that. You've got to be prepared for it. I get it. But I guess my point is that once the adrenaline hits, or once there are people out there that go into that mode, you know, in law enforcement and mil, I've seen it in military. Where it's like you can turn any little thing into an all-out World War III, and having you know even if you're in a little town, when the big town comes in with MRAPs and riot gear, they can quickly take control because they're the the big man on campus now. And so it's very volatile situation. I think you've you've really got to this can't be under underestimated of what you need to know when it comes to this type of a thing. You can't say that you're in a protected community. Because you never know what's going to happen. So, anyway, that's a great video. Go ahead and watch it. It's just a, a great bird's eye view, fly on the wall view of of something that can can very easily happen in a location near you. Uh, so now we come to the part of our broadcast where we talk about what do you know, and this is where Buck and I in our in our going through our blog or on other sites or something that we pull out stuff that. We think you should know, or stuff that we know now that we did not know before and can share with you. So, uh, Buck, you want to go ahead and go first? 
Yeah, well, you mentioned a couple of things, uh, you know, looking up in the skies for the drones and being a fly on the wall. I've been doing a lot of reading most recently about we're all convinced that President Obama is listening to your phone calls, reading your emails, probably kissing your girlfriend when you're not looking. Um, but the the thing is, while we're all focused on government overreach and the NSA looking at, at uh, your emails and your phone calls and your text messages and all this other government surveillance, all this big brother stuff, your neighbors are a much bigger threat than you realize. Uh, there was an incident just recently. A guy shot down his neighbor's drone. You can buy these camera drones, these flying helicopter devices. You know, when I, when I was a kid, this is the type of stuff you saw in science fiction movies. But anybody can go on Amazon now and buy a flying camera helicopter drone that you can just put up there in the sky and it will record and you can, uh, I don't know if any of them have the ability to, to give you a live feed while you're flitting around. I have to assume you do. Uh, but basically you've got a camera on a helicopter that is remote controlled. I saw another video the other day of, it was a drone's eye view of a woman who was sunbathing on a roof, which I was watching purely for science. <laughs> and I was trying to determine if this was, you know, it was probably fake. It was probably set up, but, the guy who shot down his neighbor's drone was, you know, he's out in his lawn. He looks up. He sees a, a little helicopter camera thing, and he's like, fuck you. I'm shooting you out of the sky. So he did, and then was all surprised when the cops showed up to arrest him because it turns out you can't just do that. Now, they're probably more concerned with the discharge of a firearm in town limits than they are with the fact that this drone belonged to his neighbor. But it raises not only some interesting property issue uh, uh, concepts, you know, like, just where are the lines? You know, if, if I've got a drone, but it's over your property, is it like when a neighbor cuts down the tree that is over his property line? You know, is that where, where's the line? How do you know who's in the right? But also, you're much more likely to be monitored by your fellow neighbors, your fellow nosy neighbors, all of whom can buy one of these camera things to snoop around, than you are your government, simply because there there's a lot of people and not that much government compared to the number of people. Now, yes, our government is way too big, but in terms of probability, it's much more likely that some Yahoo with a camera drone, uh, you know, from down the block is going to be looking in your windows with the thing or watching your daughter's undress or, or hovering over your property to case it in order to, to burglarize your home later. You know, this is a level of technology that I don't think people have considered. We all have security, but have you considered what your property looks like from above? Could a guy with a camera drone essentially case your property and figure out what your security measures are by looking down on it from above? These are all things that we just haven't considered yet because until recently, it wasn't an issue. And now it is. And it's all because these camera drones are much less expensive than they used to be and much more available. Yeah, this is going to be a hot topic going forward. I I inter just recently interviewed John Whitehead, the um, civil legendary civil rights attorney who is has been warning about government overreach for for decades, and and he said that the drones we've we've only just begun to actually see what they're going to be used for domestic use, and and now they're they can be in the hands of a neighbor for peeping tom purposes, or you know. Um, you know, do you own the three-dimensional airspace block above above your home? They're u being used by realtors now to show video of here's what the land looks like, here's what the house looks like, here's what the area looks like, things like that. And but there are things that you can do. I mean, he gave he painted a picture of look, these things are going to be they can be armed, they can be used down on the border, they can 
you know, they can fly the border with drones and if they can give a warning and then if somebody doesn't heed the warning, they can take somebody out if they want to. There's, there's really no limit of what you can do with these things going forward and they will be used. You're going to see more of this. They can harvest information. They can collect data. There's all sorts of things that can be done with these, with these things and we've only yet to, to begin to see what's going to be done with them. So, but there are things that you can do on a local level too. So, and that's actually covered in the interview that we'll be, we'll be posting uh, from John. So good stuff. Uh, my what do you know actually came from one of our, our readers and or our commenters on our blog. And it was on the Cirillo story that we just talked about. And it came from Liberty's son was his, uh, was his comment nickname. And he was talking, what I liked about the, the Cirillo story is we had a lot of uh, full time or retired law enforcement people chime in about the realities of gunfighting. And, and I thought that was really good. And a lot of them had a lot of praise for Jim Cirillo and with good reason. Uh, Liberty's son said, I agree with most of all you have said. My 30 years on the job have convinced me that instinctive shooting is survival shooting. I don't believe anyone will ever use their rear sights unless they are 10 to 20 yards away, engaged in a barricaded fight and shooting from cover. In real close quarters combat, my philosophy is this. In adrenaline-infused life-or-death shoot, you may see your barrel silhouetted against the center mass of the perpetrator, or you may not. My feeling is that when you have the barrel silhouetted against your target's center mass, you are on target. You don't need the rear sight at close range. Uh, so what, he, what, I, um, what I liked about it is that I'm always looking for good gun drills, right? So he said a good, a good drill for low-light encounter is to do two five-round sets at about seven to nine feet just using your front sight or the barrel end. Mark your shots and then do one more group of five with your eyes closed and compare your hits. This process will train you for the blindness and tunnel vision that occurs in a real shoot. You will gain confidence in your ability and know you are training muscle memory uh, that you will need when charged with the adrenaline of a real life or death encounter. So I, I do like that. And we talk about um, some, we've got a, a different drill where you draw your weapon with your with your eyes closed and point it where you saw your target, where you noticed your target. And this can be done at low light as well. So you identify your target with your eyes open, close your eyes, draw your weapon, and go ahead and we use like a cert training pistol, like pull it back so that the laser is showing and then open your eyes and see where you're pointing. You can do this dry fire too. Like you can present your weapon and then open your eyes and see how far you are on a target. What I like about Liberty Sun's uh, thing is that it's a live fire drill. So if you're looking for something new to do down at the live fire range, uh, low light, you can't, you know, a lot of times you can't really do low light without pissing off everybody else down the line, down the lanes. And, but what you can do are these five shot groups that he talks about and you can see where you're going off of muscle memory. So you can present your weapon. It takes it one step further by making it live fire, not just a laser or dry fire. And you can also see how close your rounds are based upon muscle memory because you're going to have the kickback. It's going to displace the aim of your weapon. And when you shoot a five-round group, you're going to be able to see how it compares. So it it allows you to really, really focus in on, you know, technique under less than ideal conditions where you don't have that, that fr even the front sight of your barrel available to you. And you have to go off of just target identification with your eyes and then being able to bring your weapon, even without seeing your front sight, on the target and and see how close you can get your shot group. So I, I always like good good gun drills, and that's a really good one by Liberty Sun. And that's all we got. 
but uh, a lot of good stuff. And um, and again, I want to thank everybody for getting us up there in the rankings for the iTunes podcast. Please go in and go ahead and leave us a review. In fact, we're going to be working on getting you a special gift for leaving a review. We're working on that right now, and that'll be popping up here pretty soon. So, um, anyway, Buck, anything else to uh, anything else to add? No, I, my mind is already scrolling through sound bites from today's podcast <laughs> that I can isolate, take out of context, and, and uh, destroy you. You are trying to destroy me, that's, and it's working, by the way. At least for at least for one person. But you know what? I still got a five star <laughs> rating from that person, even though he thinks I love North Korea. So <laughs> well, you said it again. You said it again. Oh, don't. And, and now, now I can isolate that where you say I love North Korea. <laughs> Thanks, Buck. <laughs> All right, everybody. Listen, don't believe anything he says. Just don't. Uh, anyway, so thanks, everybody. I really appreciate you uh, really helping us out with all the rankings and everything and all the great comments and all the great comments inside the blog. Uh, really, I love the engagement that we've got there. Uh, definitely check out our Facebook page as well. We're nearing 500,000, half a million fans to our page, and we're getting a lot of great feedback on that as well. You can find that at facebook.com slash Survival. And definitely uh, check out our emails. We've got a lot of great stuff coming up, a lot of great more podcasts coming, and uh, we've got a lot of great news to comment on in some upcoming stuff. So definitely check out our blog and, and leave those comments, all right? Okay, until the next Friday Reload podcast, this is Jeff Anderson. And this is Buck Green. Saying train hard. Stay safe. Prepare now. Thanks, everyone. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us out by rating our podcast on iTunes and leaving a comment. You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash modern combat and survival. And don't forget to claim your free subscription to Modern Combat and Survival magazine at www.moderncombatandsurvival.com. Lock and load. And we'll see you next time. This has been Modern Combat and Survival. Survival.